I'm Jim Santos, and this is Bigger, Better World from International Living. In this podcast series, we introduce you to a bigger world full of communities that are safe, welcoming, beautiful, and largely undiscovered. A better world, a friendly, warm, great value world where you can live richer, travel more, invest for profit, and enjoy a better life. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Bigger, Better World. You know, in our intro, we promise you a look at some of the undiscovered places around the globe, and today we're going to live up to that promise with a visit to Spain. Now, Spain has long been a popular expat location, ranking number six this year in the International Living Global Retirement Index. However, most of the attention is generally on the southern coast of Spain, the Costa del Sol. We are going to instead be discussing the northern coastal region along the Bay of Biscay and the Atlantic Ocean, known as Green Spain because of its lush and verdant scenery. International Living Lifestyle Editor Sean Keenan, an old friend of the podcast, has been exploring this area for the past week and is here to talk to us today from a hotel in Bilbao, Spain. Hey, Sean, uh, welcome back to Bigger Better World. Great to be back again. <laughs> yep. You know, the last time we spoke to you, you had just returned from an editorial trip uh, to the Greek islands. And now here you are actually still on an editorial trip uh, somewhere in Spain. Well, it's not the same editorial trip. <laughs> it's not the same one. I did get home and unpack my bags, wash my clothes and 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 repack them. But it's it's not been a month. It's only just been a month since I was in Greece. And now here I am back in northern Spain. So, no. No arguments from me. I love going on the trips. It's it's the highlight of the job for me. Did you ever get the feeling they just don't want you around the office? Yeah, well, I've tried very hard to make myself unpopular in the office. <laughs> so now, when most people think about Spain, uh, as especially as a destination, they're thinking about the uh, Costa del Sol, I guess, which is mostly yeah. the southern coast of Spain. Uh, but you're not in that. You're in a, in a road less traveled in Spain at the moment, aren't you? Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting to come almost full circle for me because my very first uh, editorial trip for international living was to the Costa Blanca on the southeast coast of Spain, which, again, is another place that is very well associated with the whole expat ideal. And, you know, particularly with uh, northern European and British travelers who have been going to those places to winter out or to, you know, to snowbird there way out of the winter by by going down to those places so that's the really established part of spain from the point of view of expat life but what i've done is i've come to the complete opposite coast i'm up on the north coast on the atlantic coast and it's a very different spain a lot of people the tourist people the tourist offices or the tourist industry in spain refer to it using the word greens or the phrase green spain Mm -hmm. and when come here you can really tell why that's the case because there is nowhere and i'm a man that's come from comes from ireland but there is nowhere i can think of that is greener than green spain of course you're there at a wonderful time of the year too to be enjoying the, the uh, greenness yeah, absolutely absolutely it's uh it's late spring here it's just starting to feel a little bit summery i was down at the beach a couple of times on this trip and you start to see the crowds getting to the beach people going for the day day out you know with the temperatures starting to get up into the low 80s right now so it's starting to feel more spring like more summer like but yeah it's still you can still catch that like really fresh new green leaves on the trees and a lot of deciduous forest up in this part of the world the the I kind of I kind of get a little bit um nerdy about about 
tree covers, tree tree species and stuff like that, because I feel it's a really good way of getting a handle on what the climate is of a place. So when, when you're traveling around these parts, there's a lot of broadleaf deciduous. You've got beech trees, you've got chestnut trees, you've got a lot of ash trees, which are interesting, you know, and ash trees generally need a little bit, a little bit of a winter. So, um, and also if you see something like the vegetation here, there's a huge amount of apple trees. In fact, in Cantabria and Asturias, kind of west of where I am right now in Bilbao, the the local drink, the traditional drink here is cider, which is an alcoholic cider that they make mm. with the local apples. So it's not really wine country. It's, it's a little bit cooler than wine country. Climate-wise, I think I would liken it to somewhere like um, maybe Oregon, Northern California, Oregon, not quite as wet or as cold as Washington State, but it's kind of, it's got that sort of that sort of four seasons, but four very defined and and dependable seasons. Um, I have I did live actually in the Basque Country. I'm right in the, at the moment. I'm in the Basque Country section. I did spend three years of my life living and teaching in the Basque Country, and I do think it's got one of the night for me personally. It's got the nicest climate of anywhere I've been because it doesn't really go much above the 80s in summer, and it doesn't really get below freezing much in winter either. It's got a beautiful fall because of all those deciduous trees. It's got a real sort of Vermont style fall all those lovely russet red colors and and ochres and so on when when the trees when the leaves start to change and then it's got a really decent defined summer you know june july august here you're looking at 80s temperatures in the 80s pretty much all, every day and then you've got the beaches that go with that yeah i was going to ask you if this was anywhere near the basque region so you're up on the uh, near the bay of biscay and close not too far from the french border Absolutely on on the Bay of Biscay, yeah, uh, certainly am. Right now, I'm in Bilbao City, which is the Basque Country. So it's part of the Basque region. It's on the very western edge of the Basque Country region, which, yeah. as you say, goes all the way over to France, maybe a hundred miles to my east. So a lot of people would consider going to San Sebastian as the main city that they would know of this region. I would. I do understand that San Sebastian is a very beautiful city, but I don't feel it's got as much of a real city feel as Bilbao does. Bilbao is slightly more population. If you if you were to take the whole Bilbao metropolitan region, you've got a population of about half a million people. So it gets that real proper city vibe. You know, you've got mm. you know you've got a big main street with all those high street sh- uh, stores on them, so you recognize all those you know high street store names and the designer names. But it's also got the little Casco Viejo, which is the old town area. And that's, you know, all the old little houses, the little narrow streets, the cobblestone alleys and all that sort of stuff. Then you've got a big river that runs down the center of the city and it brings you to the financial district. And the one building that everybody knows and associates with Bilbao, which is the Guggenheim Museum there, the Frank Gehry, big titanium. Uh, Frank Gehry uh, is a Dutch what do we call it architect dutch architect who um who built this in 1993 and it really revitalized bilbao because bilbao until that that point in the 1970s 1980s was a very derelict down on its down on its look sort of industrial port and it was really kind of almost going into decline and then boom this one big one big effort from the bilbao council to bring one big thing to the city really revitalized it. it did work and a lot of people came to bilbao to see the guggenheim museum and from there on 
just started to discover how great this city is. Mm-hmm. And it's still in a sort of a, a revitalization sort of trajectory. I'm staying right now at the moment in an area of town called San Francisco. It's not obviously not the San Francisco in California, but it's a, a San, the San Francisco barrio or area of town, which even in the 1990s when I lived nearby, it, that the San Francisco area was a bit edgy, a little, it was kind of the red light district, a kind of the sort of crime district, whereas now it's kind of become a sort of a family, very family community sort of um, neighborhood. And I love it because it's very, very central in the middle of the city, very almost, almost perfectly exactly in the, in the geographical middle of the city center of the city, mm-hmm. but it's, it's no longer, it's no longer edgy and it's, it's kind of a new growing area. It's very multi-ethnic. It's very, it's very young. It's very vibrant. And and also you've got this situation where, you know, you, you sit down and watch people in the cafe, you know, people will come to a cafe and sit down and nod each other in greeting because they might not know each other's names, but they kind of recognize each other's faces, that sort of a way. Mm-hmm. So it's a good part of the city to be in. I enjoy it. Yeah, I've always been kind of interested in that area uh, because of the Basque region. I don't know how many people know much about the Basque people, but the the Basque language is not really related to many of the other languages in the area. And not at all. The, the Basque people are kind of a people apart. They never really identified with France or Spain. No, and they would say that uh, genetically that they are people apart as well. That they have that their genes go stronger with Magnon. Yeah, I have read the theory that they are descended from Neanderthal. Exactly, and more directly. Yeah, so the the area always kind of has a reputation of being almost a land that's out of time or out of sync with anything else. Uh, Did you notice that in any of the small villages? Uh, I understand you were in some towns that just had like 20 or 30 people in them. It certainly is in the villages, yeah. There's a very strong sense of Basque identity in the Basque villages uh, that, you know, including the language, including uh, everything, including even... The, the way that the Basques dress, for example, they'll, you know, it's modern clothes. It's not like they're in traditional clothing or anything, but there is a, a certain, you can you can identify a Basque just basically by looking at them because they have their own fashions and they, they even just write down to haircuts and things like that. And then, of course, they speak their own language too. But um, that village in which i which i went to with the 34 people that's a very interesting place but that wasn't in the basque country that was in an Astur- in asturias province uh the the little village is called bulnes which you'll find in the picos de europa the picos de europa national park in asturias which is uh it's an autonomous region which is a little bit further to the west up here in the basque country and and the wonderful thing about that village is that it, it has no road access. Mm. So you can't actually drive a car up there or a truck. Yeah, you can't get there from here, is what you're saying. Well, yeah. you've got two ways of getting there. Until until about 20 years ago, you only had one way of getting there, which you had to actually just, you had to actually get your boots on. You had to walk up the path. Um, and it's a good solid two or three hours worth of hiking to get there. Now, um, sometime in the 1990s, the people of Bulnes just really, they they petitioned their local government and said, look, uh, while it's lovely living up here and being isolated and so on, you know, we would like to have some sort of emergency access if we need to get, you know, if we need emergency access to hospitals or or whatever, or, you know, we don't want to get snowed in for months at a time. Mm-hmm. So a 
funicular was built. So there's a funicular railway goes up and down to that little village now. But the the magic of the place is that the the last scheduled service of the day finishes at six o'clock in the evening. So once if you're up there after six o'clock in the evening, there's no more contact. And it's just the most wonderful, peaceful, tranquil place to be. There's, oh, I think there's one hotel, there's a hostel or, or a couple of bars. The the economy there is still very much farming, but they do have a couple of concessions to tourism. And it's great. It's a lovely, lovely place. I've spent one of the nicest evenings, nights I've spent anywhere in the world up there. Just the sounds of all, you know, sheeps with <laughs> sheeps, sheep mm-hmm. with uh, with bells on, you know, just so that mm-hmm. the shepherds can. So you could hear this tink tong tink tong in the background of the, when the sheep move. And the rest of it is just birdsong, and that is literally all you can hear. It's quite, um, it's quite charming. I understand you did some hiking in the Picos de Europa. Yeah, I did some hiking just to get up to Vilnius in the just first to... place. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the sheer practicality of that. But I did a little bit of hiking around when I was there too, because there are some wonderful, wonderful things to see there. There's one particular peak called Naranjo. Uh, which is a 600 meter sheer wall of limestone, which just juts completely out of the ground. Almost, it almost looks like the tip of a chisel just sticking out of the ground. Now, I didn't try and climb it. <laughs> I had a good look at it, but I didn't try and climb it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just, I just did circular. I just did a circular hike, really, just to to have a look for a couple of hours. Just you know, what on the plateau up there to see what I could see. Those mountains are are. Good high mountains. They're ten thousand feet mountains, which is you know that's that's not special in itself. But what's special about them is that they are fifteen miles from the ocean, mm-hmm. and and they're, they're, it's an incredibly compact, incredibly small um, mountain range, which just sweeps almost, you know, sweeps so steeply right down to the sea. And when you get to a little town like Riba de Seja, or Yanes, both two little coastal towns, little port coastal towns. But to be at the sea and look up at these mountains, which even now I was there in late May and during the night there was snow. So to look up at snow-capped mountains from from the beach and know that you can be there within, you know, it can be right amongst the mountains within a half hour's drive. It's really quite rare. You don't find that in too many places in the world. I'm always attracted to places where you can have that mountain beach dichotomy really really quickly yeah the big island of hawaii is the only one i can think of where you can literally drive yeah. from the beach up to the snow up to snow yeah oh, let's see let me think if i can think of any more you could do so maybe in maybe in the french basque country you could get into pyrenees pretty quick you know but mm. not with half an hour yeah. and i'm sure there are other places in chile or or yeah places like that but generally speaking to have have that in you know in europe here in a really kind of lovely beautifully developed part of europe uh with a lot of population it's it's a great it's a great combination so i was looking at it and i was thinking in terms of you know writing an article later on in the month to go into the magazine and thinking, well, look, you've got your classic here because you've got Beaches Mountain City and a number of cities, but Bilbao being the one that I'm I'm quite attracted to and I'm sitting in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santander is also a city on the Cantabrian coast. It's a little west of here as well. And it's, a, it's another good city. It's got a lovely, lovely beach. The city itself is a little industrial and largely residential. 
So I don't think it's as nice a city as Bilbao is, but it certainly is. It has its town beach. Santander has a town beach called El Star El Sardinero. Uh, so the sardine beach basically is where the sardine boats used to get launched. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for a town beach and Santander being a city, city beach, and then right close to the mountains as well, that's another another lovely little option. And I think what largely comes to me as I travel around this part of the world is it's very overlooked, very forgotten. I mean, this is probably the first time, certainly in, in my time with international living, that that the magazine is going to be or that we're going to be covering this area in any great depth. I don't really think it's been discovered by anything much more than Spanish tourists. You know, people from Madrid and as soon as they, you know, as soon as the kids get off school in in July, they head straight up to the coast and will very often come to Santander. Usually drive to Santander and Santander City and then move off to some of the little, you know, little towns up on the beach towns close to Santander. And Spanish tourists have been doing that for, for you know, decades. But there aren't really that many people from outside of Spain who even think about coming here. It's odd because the Santiago de Compostela Pilgrim Trail, which is a really big um, event or it's a, it's, a, it's a big draw, it's a big tourism draw to the region. But people will walk right past all these towns and all these cities but never really stop in them for very long. And I think it's I think it's very overlooked and I think that's wonderful from our point of view because you know I've been I, I see for example a lot of international living subscribers are very interested in retiring or moving or spending a lot of time in Portugal for example at the moment. It's very it seems to be very fashionable at the moment, very popular at the moment to to consider Portugal as a place to go and I don't disagree with that. I love Portugal. I think it's a wonderful place but Walking around here, I see nothing that Portugal has that the northern Spain coast doesn't have either. And the prices to me seem pretty similar. The The countryside looks very like northern Spain. Well, sorry, like northern Portugal. And in many cases, I think it's a little bit more spectacular here for because of those mountains that I just mentioned, the Picos de Europa. And to have that drama, to have that physical drama of big, craggy, jagged mountains coming right down to the sea you just don't get that in portugal i think that's an advantage we've got here you know have you had a chance to be able to price any of the real estate in the area or get an idea of what long-term rentals are i did just a moment ago and i just just about 10 minutes ago i put a facebook post on the vip facebook group the international living vip uh, facebook of a place in right here in san francisco right here on on San Francisco Street itself, and it was a four-bed four-bedroom department for 149,000 euros, mm-hmm. which boggled my mind really, uh, because to be in such a great city, such a really incredible, international, interesting, vibrant city, and to be in what I consider to be one of the the most up-and-coming neighborhoods within that city. For $150,000, maybe maybe a little more than that if we were to make the, con- depending on when when you're making the conversion, what the, what the rate is between the two currencies. But let's call it somewhere between $150,000, $155,000. I think that's an absolute steal. I think that's a mm-hmm. wonderful bargain. There are places for less. I've seen, I've seen places 
on realtors' window boards for anything as low as 80,000, but that's not here in the city of Bilbao. That's over in the countryside of Asturias. Asturias is, is, is affordable, very affordable. It's got similar prices, property prices, as Portugal. And when I say Portugal, I don't mean the Algarve parts or I don't mean Lisbon or Porto. I mean the sort of the countryside, the rural rural parts of Portugal too. So very surprisingly low prices. When I lived here back in the 1990s, Bilbao and the Basque Country and San Sebastian were considered to be very expensive, comparatively expensive in in Spanish terms. Uh, apartments in that in those days were going for 150 to 180,000 for three bedroom apartments, which was unbelievable in a Spanish context at the time. But the interesting thing for me is that this is 20 years further on now. And the prices don't seem to have moved. It's, you know, they have they have moved in the rest of Spain. The rest of Spain has come up to those prices, but the prices here in the Basque Country seem to have just remained stable and are the same as they were 20 years ago. And in a city the size of Bilbao, I'd, I'd assume there's a few hospitals as well. Certainly is, yeah. There's a great big hospital. The largest hospital is in a part of town called San Mamés, San Mamés is um, to the northern end of the city, and that's really where all the sort of administrative stuff goes on. So it's it's a kind of a part of the city where the conference centers are, and the the big foot the big soccer stadium is there, and the big hospital is there as well. Spain in general does a lot of smaller regional hospitals. It doesn't tend to go for those you know big huge ones but the city the cities do there's usually in the bigger cities like bilbao you'll usually find a a a hub hospital for all the larger more complicated procedures and they'll have the more specialists and so on whereas for example um i think it was about 10 years ago i broke my leg in in the in the sort of madrid region the the region of madrid where i was living out uh, northwest of madrid at the time and i got all the surgery done on that within my my local hospital which was not actually in madrid city at all it was in a little a small town called escorial and it was a you know a, a very small hospital really only three floors one single building you know only really the size of a, a large apartment building but i got all my all i got all my my work done there i think if i had had anything more complicated anything more complex if there had been complications I would have been referred to the larger hospital in the northwest Spanish in northwest Madrid area, which is in a town called Majada Honda. And so you do you do find that there's the system here just will essentially try and get you to your smallest most local hospital for any treatments, particularly outpatient treatments will happen in the smaller places. Sure, and then. There are the big hospitals then, and and I'm talking, I'm talking about the the national healthcare system here, the the nationalized, the socialized healthcare system, the private hospitals. Yeah, private hospitals will nearly always be in the bigger cities. Hmm. So built by here, private hospitals, but they will be smaller hospitals, and quite often the same happens. If if you do have a more complicated procedure or you need a a, a more specialized specialist. You may very well end up in one of those larger hospitals anyway, getting private care, but at a public hospital. I see looking at a map here, there's also an international airport in Bilbao. So even though it is a kind of remote region, you're not really cut off there either. 
Absolutely not. No, I, in fact, I'm flying out of there tomorrow and I will be flying back to Dublin from Bilbao. Uh, two flights a day to, to Ireland. There's also an, an international airport in Santander. Uh, Santander City has got um, also got international flights because that was one of my options as well. So Bilbao Airport is great because it's quite close to the center of the city. You can get there on the bus for twenty uh, for three euros. You can get out to the airport. It takes about twenty minutes. So in a city, that's that's really useful because there are some cities where the airports are, you know, by name only. If you're flying to Paris, for example, and you fly right. into Charles de Gaulle Airport, you know, Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport, the the name. Paris is there, but to get from Charles de Gaulle Airport into Paris city center, it's forty five minutes minimum on a on a on a train, a uh, long time. And the London airports as well, for example, London Heathrow to London Center again forty minutes on a train. Hmm. A lot of the European airports are a little bit tricky like that, but Bilbao isn't. You you you're directly into into the city center very quickly, very conveniently. Now, people are interested in more of a uh, smaller beach like community uh, see from your itinerary that you were also planning on st- stopping by uh, Riba de Sella and Santillana del Mar uh, what did you think of those regions Santillana del Mar is interesting because they say that there are three lies in, in Santillana del Mar the three lies are Sante is means saint, saint in the local dialect <laughs> there's no saint there Yana means flat plain and it's not a flat plain because it's all quite hilly and del mar means at the seaside and it's not at the seaside yeah so santa del mar is not actually any of the things santa del mar is a delightful little town it's super medieval it's just all tiny little cobblestone alleys beautiful oh 16th 17th century uh stone townhouses it's spectacular but it's beautifully small and compact you can walk around the whole of the town in in half an hour it's really worth seeing however it isn't it isn't a beach town but riba de Seya certainly is a beach town and riba de Seya, i think is one of the nicest beach towns around i feel it's like a very very much smaller san sebastian if that means anything to you if that doesn't mean anything to you what i mean by that is you have a lovely old town section 18th century old town which then you just cross over a bridge a little small walk and you're on a lovely crescent beach you know this lovely crescent surf beach sandy sandy beach uh with mountains you can see from the beach again that's the place i was referring to when i was talking about asturias and the ability to just look up from the sand of the beach up at the the peaks of the high mountains right behind you mm-hmm. and Saya is uh, it's Again, it's a lovely, very quaint old town area with, with lots of outdoor restaurants and, uh, you know, loads of little places. And what it's associated with is cider. So the, the restaurants quite often are specifically what they call ciderias, which just basically means that they they will sell you a bottle of cider, local cider to go with your meal there. So they're not they're not wine drinking people, not um traditionally they're cider drinking people and they have a whole cuisine built around the idea of this cider and they have a very special way of pouring the cider because the cider doesn't have a natural it, it it's not naturally very bubbly so to counteract that there's a sort of a special way of pouring 
into a sort of a fairly wide tumbler glass and you're you're supposed to pour the you know the the people who know how to do it you're supposed to pour the cider out of the bottle from you know over your head you're supposed to lift the bottle over your head and pour it you know maybe three four down into down into, into the glass without spilling it all over the place and that that aerates the cider then and gives it a bit of a bit of a bit of a bubble bit of a head but needless to say those of us who weren't brought up to that end up spilling it all over the floor <laughs> which gets embarrassing so they have come up with a couple of little 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 tricks you sometimes you can go to a place and they'll bring you a, a special little pump machine that you can put your bottle of cider into and you can pump it into your glass um a lot more controlled circumstances <laughs> for those who are less adventurous <laughs> you can be as adventurous as you like but it's it's down to your dexterity i'm certainly adventurous but i still have it all over the floor <laughs> so uh it sounds like a, a really beautiful area with a lot of possibilities but uh as you say that it hasn't really been discovered by uh certainly not north american expats any um uh, European expats? Did you notice any prevalence of people from like France or England or Ireland there? Not especially. I mean, you hear you hear the voices. You can hear you can hear people from different places. You can hear French people speaking quite often when you're sitting in a cafe or somewhere like that. You will hear French people, and you quite often hear British people too. Um, the as like I said, the Camino de Santiago passes through a lot of these small towns, so you do get tourism there, and you get year-round tourism. So somewhere like Yanes, uh, which I just mentioned fleetingly, it's a little like Ribesalia. It's a it's an old it's an old fishing town which developed into um, a bit of a tourist hub as well. So you, you know, it's not like you'll be completely unable to speak to people in English. Uh, certainly within the hospitality sector you can you can speak english to anyone who's pretty much you know serving you will be able to talk to you about your order and explain to you explain to you what it is that you you know what you might want to eat from the menu or so on um there isn't even really a great number of european expats that i've managed to come across i talked to one british man uh taylor firth who is living in uh close to close to Santander with his Cuban wife and I visited his home, which was, Oh, it was, it was a bit of a bargain as um, maybe five minutes drive from the beach, a in a gated, in a gated community and a, a, a standalone house, four bedrooms, large, you know, garden all the way around it on uh, two stories, a garage, which he's converted into a, into a studio for himself and he was telling me that they paid two hundred twenty thousand uh, euros for that. That's just two years ago that they paid for that. Mm-hmm. And also, he was telling me actually that his heating costs for the whole of the year came to one thousand one hundred euros for the whole the whole winter. And on a on a home of that size, I think it's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Speaking of heating costs, because I, I assume in that region you do have four seasons through the year you certainly do and you will have to heat your home here uh as i say that's the best that's the best steer i have on that is that he was telling me that his quite large quite open home uh you know a, a standalone home not not an apartment an actual standalone house with you know with the four bedrooms the the two stories 
and then the converted garage at the back you know 1100 for for oil based heating oil fired heating mm-hmm. so 1100 it's not bad it's just interesting the number of expats i know who have moved to warm beaches for year round good weather how often after a few years they tell me how much they miss the change of the seasons yeah so it, it seems yeah. like an area where you you have the beach you also have the mountains and you also have the changes in the season so you can watch everything green up and uh become beautiful every spring yeah and become beautiful every every fall as well i i i, I would really tell anybody considering coming to these parts of the world not not to miss the fall because it is spectacular it really is um there's a feel to it because the air gets a little bit chill but there's still strong sunshine during the day so you can get the heat on your back if you get the right day you get the heat on your back but you get a little chill in the air and then all across the mountains where you see you know the leaves turning and all that beautiful color in the leaves but then you'll see a little old farmhouse with just a little trail of you know blue gray smoke just coming from the from the fireplace up into the air it's a very evocative it's a very evocative sight, but it's very typical of these places, uh, and and it is very very beautiful. I do think that the idea of four seasons is really starting to gain popularity again amongst uh, certainly amongst international living subscribers. We're getting we do get mailbag queries, and probably more than I ever remember saying, you know, look, where could I go that's actually got four seasons? Not everybody is looking for that tropical year round. You know, gets light at six o'clock in the morning and gets dark at six o'clock in the evening and every day is the same. Hmm. Not everybody's looking for that. I could certainly, you know, I like it. I like it to visit, but it, the passing of time, the passing of seasons, the natural rhythm of, of life too. And I think we, we all appreciate that too. And well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people do appreciate that too. And it's certainly, this is one of the best places I could think of to experience it. Well, we've been talking with Sean Keenan, the lifestyle editor of International Living Magazine, uh, currently exploring an area of northern Spain that's largely been overlooked by expats. If you're the adventurous sort or the kind of person who is interested in exploring areas or living someplace where it is not really the typical expat haven, you'd be well to look for these articles in upcoming editions of International Living Magazine. Sean, thanks for sharing with us and have a safe trip home. Thank you, Jim. I certainly will. And thanks for having me on the show again. It's been great. The Bigger, Better World podcast is a production of International Living. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have an idea for an episode or a question you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at internationalliving.com. And don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of your email. That's mailbag at internationalliving.com. We created Bigger, Better World to help showcase the ideas we explore at International Living each month and grow our community of travel lovers, expats, and experts who believe, as we do, that the world is full of opportunity to create a more interesting, more international life. You don't have to be rich or famous to do that, You just need to know the secrets, and that's what we bring you at International Living. If you haven't become a member yet, you can do it today with a special discount offer for podcast listeners. 
You'll receive our monthly magazine plus a bundle of special extras. You'll find the link in our show notes, or you can go to intliving.com slash podcast. That's intliving.com slash podcast. Coming up next week, we'll hear from an expat who traded a successful life in Portugal for the countryside of Sweden. Thanks again for listening to Bigger, Better World. I'm Jim Santos for International Living, and I'll see you next week. So until then, remember, there's a bigger, better world just waiting for you. Thank you.